Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. This is episode 290. We're continuing our series on common Christian problems. And this is the second episode that we're devoting to the very widespread and extremely common problem that afflicts millions of Americans, Christians and non-Christians, and I'm talking about depression. Now, basically last episode, I outlined how widespread depression was, how depression is something that does affect Christians, and you're not somehow a a sub-Christian or a lower category of Christian if you suffer depression, that God's love for you is just as strong as it is for anyone else. Now, I am going to be offering five solutions for depression, and I'm just going to rattle them off here real quick. The first is antidepressants. We're going to talk about those in just a second. The second are spiritual solutions, and I'm going to be uh, digging into that the majority of this broadcast. The third are psychological solutions to depression, and I'm not referring to antidepressants here. I'm talking about psychological therapy and things you can do to perhaps heal wounds that might be leading to depression. Number four, the physical Uh, solutions to depression. What you might be able to do along with the physical is nutrition and what role that might play in solving depression. And then number five, I'm just calling surprise number five therapy. I'm not going to tell you what it is until we get there, but it's a surprise. That's not commonly talked about. And here's my point. Depression is so widespread. And back to our number one solution and I'm not saying it's my first solution, I'm saying it's the number one solution in our culture, antidepressants are the solution of choice for the vast majority of people seeking relief from depression. And there's some questions about relying exclusively on antidepressants, and perhaps there's some other things we can do to perhaps not even need them. For instance, there is a big survey, the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, and it reported that 30 to 50 percent of folks taking antidepressants the first time, it didn't work for them. Uh, Maybe even up to half of people, it didn't work for them. And two-thirds of those taking them for the first time experienced at least one side effect, and there can be multiple side effects. Now, I'm not opposed to the careful use of antidepressants. Uh, Ideally, uh, I would like to see them on a short-term basis, not a permanent basis. And yet there are some voices urging caution about their use. I'm just going to give you a title of an article you can find online. It's entitled, The Chemical Imbalance Myth and Antidepressant Harm by Dr. Joseph Mercola. Now, that was a mouthful, so I'll give it one more time. The Chemical Imbalance Myth and Antidepressant Harm by Dr. Joseph Mercola. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't prescribe antidepressants. I can't help you there a bit. I think the other four things I'm going to be talking about can help 
quite a bit. And so that's what I will be doing today. Now, we're going to be talking about the uh, the spiritual aspect of it. And last time I emphasized, but I want to come back to it again, because there's a certain amount of toxicity in Christian circles. Yes, there is. I mean, uh, some people talk, uh, Protestant or Catholic, talk about their religious circles as if they're always perfect. Personally, I feel that creates a great harm to people because when folks are having serious problems, I'm talking about Christian folks, they get this, I'm alone and something is wrong with me because everybody in my parish or everybody in my congregation has it all together. And we have this notion that churches are the perfect place for the perfect, perfect preachers, perfect priests, perfect people. And then you have perfect uh, conference speakers and perfect broadcasters who have it all together. And let me just get right to the point. This is simply untrue. And the idea that everybody's perfect and everybody has it all together is phony. Uh, And I can speak to this in a certain way because I have some experiences that most of you don't, unless you happen to be a priest listening. I have been a pastor. And when you're a pastor, this is before I became a Catholic, people tell you a lot of things. And at times, uh, doing pastoral counseling, you are very surprised at times by the situations that otherwise good Christian people get themselves into and the problems that they bear. And a lot of times on Sunday morning, you would never guess this level of difficulty, of strife, or of depression, or sinful behavior is going on, wrestling with these things. So what we really need in the 21st century is courage for, and I think it has to start with leaders, to be open about their sinful struggles. Now, I'm just going to be really upfront here. (laughs) I don't have the courage I'm advocating. Um, You know, it's enough for me just to go to confession where you're separated by a veil and nobody else hears what you're saying other than the priest. But think with me for a minute how much good, centuries of good, was done by St. Augustine. He's a saint. He's a father of the church. But one of his most influential works are his confessions. He laid it all out there with such courage and honesty. Um, It's just not in my realm of capability. I'll tell tell you that. I'll say I'm a sinner. I say I go to confession, not because I'm a saint flying at 20,000 feet, because I need to go. That's as far as I can go. But let me introduce you to a man like St. Augustine, a real man of courage, and that's King David in the Old Testament. But before I get to his courage about being open and forthright about his struggles with sin and how he ended up being able to help others by being open about it, 
you have to take a couple of steps back because David had a level of what I would call natural courage that was uncanny. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David was having a conversation with then King Saul, and you know he's saying, yeah, I'll go out there and take on Goliath. <laughs> and they're thinking, you got to be nuts, you know. And then, but David says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and killed him. Wow. Now there's a prerequisite for ordination if I ever heard one. You know, David obviously had a lot of courage to go up against Goliath. But you know, something that might have even been more difficult was what he wrote about in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 32. And remember last time I was suggesting to you that, uh, you know, Steve's prescription pad, um, you know, if you're joyful and just so elated with the goodness of God and his work in your life, well, the place to go is the Psalms, because you'll never find elation, praise of God greater than you'll find in the Psalms. And by the same token, if you're down, and I mean you're really down, and you seem overcome with enemies, with depression, with physical affliction, you'll never be further down than the book of Psalms. And here's what David said in Psalm 32. And everything I'm reading in Psalm 32 is David talking about himself, but using as an example of his life for you and for me. Psalm 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3. This is where it gets real courageously honest. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, there are many causes of depression, and I'm going to be talking about some of the physical uh, causes of depression and what can be done about it. Uh, I'm going to be talking about some of the psychological causes, but there are times, very concrete times, where depression is brought about by guilt of sin. And here you have it in verse 3, when I declared my, my sin, it was even physiological outworking of the inward burden he felt. My body wasted away, groaning all the day long. God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He was going through a very difficult time. And then he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to thee, 
and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then thou sayest, forgive the guilt of my sin. And then he has a word for us. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to thee at the time of distress. In the rush of great waters, that's when you're overwhelmed. That's when you have, for instance, overwhelming depression caused by guilt from sin. They shall not reach him. And then he says, this is pretty straightforward stuff, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not keep up with you. You see, (laughs) there's a trap, and there's a deep trap. If you're suffering depression, one of the possible causes, I'm not saying it is the cause, but one of the possible causes, a good counselor should investigate with you is that is that depression as a result of being weighed down and overwhelmed by the guilt of sin. And King David experienced that. This is the man after God's own heart. This is very real, as young people would say. Now, here's where the deep trap is for those seeking psychological help. And I'm including Christian counselors with this. Not all of them, but many of them. Psychological therapy, when feelings of guilt arise, now feelings of guilt can be false guilt. In other words, it doesn't stem from something real, but there can be real feelings of guilt that are so overwhelming, even your body feels burdened by it. And it's common for psychological therapy to want to transfer your guilt to others so that it really isn't your fault. In fact, I saw a book that was kind of half comical and half true about counseling. It's not your fault when it really is your fault. I'm not saying every time it is in every situation and every person, but it can be. And for those who are suffering depression as a result of the guilt from sin, there often arises the need for permanent or semi-permanent psychological help. You know why that is? Well, Guilt is only temporarily relieved by individual and small group therapy. It still remains. So you have to continually kind of either repress it or try to transfer it to somebody else, but it doesn't go away. Now, remember a key passage for healing in general that also includes healing for psychological difficulties, I mentioned an important passage in James chapter 5, where it says in James 5.14, is any among you sick? And I mentioned in 5.14, that word sick in the Greek just means just what it sounds like to be physically ill. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15 the prayer of faith will save the sick man. Now, in verse 15, this is a different Greek word underlying sick man. 
and it's a word that can refer to literal physical illness, but it also can refer to weariness of soul. See, that's, that's, that's what depression is. Your soul is cast down. Your soul is wearied. So what does it say that the prayer of faith will save the one weary of soul or physically ill? The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins. You see, this is part of healing. This is exactly, this was played out in the life of the man after God's own heart, David, in Psalm 32. And it goes right along with James 5, verses 14, 15, and 16. Now, there's something about this word confess in James 5 that you should know about. Because many people will say, Protestant friends say, well, why do you go to a priest to confess your sins? You know, I can do it in my prayer closet with Jesus. Well, there's a three-syllable word in the Greek that is the word for confess in James 5.16. Okay, let me give you the first two. And this isn't going to be hard because each of these words are very close to English words. The first, well, actually not the first two, the second and the third syllables is homo, which means same, like homosexual, same sex, homo, logeo, and logeo is like logos or word. So to confess is to say the same thing about your sin that God says. In other words, it's not saying you know, it had to do with my parents, it had to do with my education, it had to do with my bank account, it had to do with my employer. No, it had to do with me, and here's what I did. Homo logeo, that's confession, okay? Now, that's not exactly the word, though, as it's used in James 5.16. In James 5.16, the Greek word is ex homo logeo, and that ex is a preposition. And if you want to know what that means, it simply means out or out of. And if you want to see an English word, just go into a school building or a commercial building or a bank, and over the doors going outside is an exit sign. You go out. And what this is saying, if you want to be healed, and not just from physical illness, but to when you're wearied in soul, you're fatigued, you're cast down in soul, you want to be healed, ex homologeo, you confess it and get it out. You speak it out. And yeah, you can kind of think about it and maybe even say it in your prayer closet, but there is a dynamically different uh, event which occurs if you can get it from the inside to the outside. And when that occurs, If you have guilt-induced depression, you don't need a semi or permanent counseling session in order to be relieved of that guilt. You will experience the forgiveness from God. And, you know, I kind of (laughs) like David. I mean, he's really telling it like it is here. He goes, don't be like a mule. What is he referring to? Himself. He was stupid. He was stubborn. He went and suffered unnecessarily with guilt. He was weighed down. This guy wasn't happy 
When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away. I was groaning all the day long. Your hand, God, was heavy upon me. So what does he say? Just acknowledge your sins. Don't hide your iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did God do? He forgave him. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to thee at a time of distress in the rush of great waters, overwhelming depression or whatever. They shall not reach him. So, you know, in the early church, they picked out seven psalms. There's 150 psalms, and there's all kinds of psalms, psalms of praise, but there's penitential psalms. Psalms that, uh, seven of them, in fact, that the early church picked out to be used by early Christians, and Psalm 32 was one of those seven top picks by the early church. And so this is something that you should have available. As a parent, you should be able to Say if you have a teenager perhaps uh, suffering from guilt, there's all kinds of negative things that can happen as a result of guilt. There can be anger, there can be turning to drugs and alcohol, there can be gambling, there can be drug use, escaping into pornography. There, there can be a hundred things, uh, including depression, but that the thing David says to do, and he was so open about himself bless his heart for the courage. And it took, to, in my book, more courage than going up to that bear or lion and grabbing him by the beard and, and smiting him. Okay, this is, this is powerful stuff. And, he, and it's all laid out for you in the open, in the Bible, so that you don't have to suffer inwardly. Okay? Now, there's a bit of a misunderstanding about confession sometimes that can creep in that will greatly distort both its meaning and its effectiveness, okay? And to keep that distortion from coming into our minds, we need to turn to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, the letter to the Romans is talking about how we find forgiveness of sins, both Jew and Gentile. How do we find our way right for God? It's called being justified. And in Romans chapter 4, it's going to quote King David's psalm. Romans 4 quotes Psalm 32, the opening verses. And it goes like this. First of all, St. Paul says, and to one who does not work, in other words, this isn't something that originates from you, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, okay? Instead of seeing that because I do something, God does something. Because I confess, God will therefore forgive on the basis of my confession. Well, there's a half-truth to that, but the idea is you're not trusting in yourself for this because God makes righteous, forgives the ungodly, you see, and it's his faith which is reckoned as being righteous or made right with God. It's the basis of faith. Now, faith is exceedingly difficult. I used to think that was easy. Um, it, it isn't. And based on my walk with Christ, 
and my experience both as a Protestant pastor and Catholic apostolate for years here, one of the most difficult things to believe is that God loves me despite the fact that I have sinned. Now, hear this. God does not expect his people to be perfectly sinless. They are expected to confess their sins and put their trust in the God who loves them. You have to believe that God loves you and that it's Jesus who died for your sins. It wasn't your going to confession that results in forgiveness as much as what God has done. If you imagine drinking water is like taking in forgiveness, well, you don't dig the well. You don't put in the pipes. You don't install the faucet. All you do, God does all that. Your part is simply to go over and drink, to receive by faith what God has done for you because he loves you. And so St. Paul goes on in Romans 4, so David pronounces a blessing upon the man whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. This isn't you have to be perfect to find forgiveness from God. And then St. Paul quotes Psalm 32, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. And then he says, this is why it depends on faith. It's not because of you're going to confess. You're just going to confession to get the drink. It's been done for you. You open your heart and ask God's forgiveness, and it's there. It's been provided for you. And St. Paul says that the promise may rest on grace. And then what's the result of that? Well, just to cheat, we're just going to jump ahead just a little bit in Paul's letter to the Romans and go to the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 5. And remember the chapter divisions weren't there when Paul wrote this. So he goes, therefore, since we are justified by faith, faith means we're trusting in God for forgiveness. We're trusting in God's love for us for forgiveness. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Those suffering from depression, even overwhelming depression because of guilt, you can talk your head off in group therapy trying to transfer that guilt to someone else and say it's somebody else's fault. But if you do the ex homo logeo, you get it out. You confess it openly. You confess it verbally. And you say the same thing about it as God does. You'll have peace with God. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 290 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.